Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore with your host, Matthew Miller. We give you pint-sized, bite-sized pieces of supernatural monster lore, exploring their origins, their history, and their meaning to the human condition. Listen, if you dare. In the summer of 1977, there was an electrical blackout in almost all of New York City. And at that time, there were economic troubles. The Son of Sam serial killer was on his killing spree. The weather was unbearably hot and humid. And during that blackout, for some reason, crime broke out all across the city. Looting, mugging, arson, even one murder. People turned into animals and chaos reigned. The thin line of civility broke, and all hell was let loose on the city until the next day when electricity was restored. I'm your host, Matthew Miller, expert on all things monster and paranormal. I'm a horror writer from the dark and haunted swamps of Louisiana, and it's my pleasure to welcome you into my terrifying world. Please check out my books on Amazon, beginning with Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story, which is volume one of the Gravediggers series. The Gravediggers are a punk rock band who keep crossing paths with all sorts of dark, evil, nasty creatures. It's horror, it's comedy, it's one super entertaining series. Uh, Volumes one through three of the series are currently available on Amazon. Volume four is coming out very soon, and it's a six-part series, so stay tuned for the next three. In this Werewolf series of podcasts, we've taken a look at Werewolf stories, legends from around the world, from ancient times to modern times, even including some real historical werewolf trials and confessions. This time, this episode, I'd like to take a look at why the werewolf mythos is so popular and long-lasting. What is it about werewolves that fascinates us so? Well, the basic concept behind we're animals is humans becoming animals, right? Maybe I should specify non-human animals, because from a biological point of view, we are animals. Mammals, to be precise. We're basically hairless apes. And I think, though, there's a few things that separate us from other animals. I think of things like language, self-awareness, advanced technology, the ability to think symbolically, Our brains and synapses are even different physically from all other animals. They're more efficient. We can ponder and express complex emotions. We can think about life and death and our own place in the universe. We can think symbolically. We can plan for the distant future. Now, whether these things are just evolutionary advances that any animal could or will one day maybe develop, or whether they're different, not just in degree but in kind, I don't know. That's a question for biologists. But I can say that at least at this point in evolutionary history, we are fundamentally different than all the other animals, aren't we? Well, we have this thing called civilization. (laughs) We think we do, at least. The English word civilized comes from a Latin root, uh, civitas, 
or civis, meaning a citizen. It refers to a city and its people. The idea is that people in a city are more refined, more developed uh, than people in the country. I'm not saying this is necessarily true, but that's the root of the concept of civilization. People in cities generally are exposed to a variety of other kinds of people, people different than them, different languages, arts, philosophy, other things. Also, a big difference is that people in cities don't have to hunt or forage for food, right? Don't have to scrap for survival in the same way that people in the wilderness or people in the country might. And in the modern world, what this basically means is that if I'm hungry, I can go buy my meat at a market or even have it prepared for me at a restaurant instead of having to hunt it down in the woods. So it's this idea of civilization that separates us from the animals, but we actually are animals, and so we have this kind of struggling, striving within us. Essentially, we're animals who are acting like we're not animals, right? Kind of animals pretending not to be animals, pretending to be different. But inside of us, there'll always be an animal, this animal that has animalistic wants and needs, like what? Well, food, water, sex, right? <laughs> and sometimes fighting to fight off an enemy or a, a predator. Sometimes fighting over food or even fighting over sex. We'll always have inside of us, I think, this kind of genetic memory. Think of our most ancient ancestor of having to fight for dominance, participating in mating rituals, hunting prey, or being hunted as prey. We can't escape this. It's in us. And so as we go throughout our civilized lives, we have these kind of unwritten rules of society, don't we, of being polite. What does it mean to be polite? Uh, that we, uh, we have these rules of thinking, of creating, philosophizing. We practice self-control. We try to rise up above our animal nature. And we've created great works of art, great philosophies to think of, great things to ponder. Think of Leonardo da Vinci, one of my personal heroes, and all the things he created and thought about and, and did. But we're fighting within, aren't we? Because part of us simply, plain and simple, wants to be an animal. Part of us just wants to be an animal. <laughs> I mean, come on, wouldn't it be nice to sometimes just be able to let go of our humanity? Just act like an animal? Wouldn't it be nice to get naked and run free through the hills, through the forest, eat whatever we find, whatever we want to mate freely? This, in my opinion, is the meaning of the werewolf mythos. You see, it's at least one big meaning. It's a concept that allows man to be beast, so to speak. It allows all of us to ponder this animal inside of us and think, wow, what would it be like to give in to the animal inside of us, to stop pretending? But then again, aren't we afraid a little bit of that animalistic side? I mean, if, some, if, a, if you can, came in contact with another human in the city who was acting like a savage animal, running around naked, eating you know, eating pets and, and mating at will, well, we'd be scared of that person. We would stop that person. And deep inside, maybe, don't we fear what we might do ourselves if we were allowed that free reign, <laughs> if we were allowed to be just animals, to do whatever an animal wants? Aren't you a little bit afraid of what you might do? I am. And so, in a sense, we both fear the werewolf, but we also want to be the werewolf. We envy the werewolf. The werewolf has license to be the animal, to run free. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. It's a big part of what this werewolf idea is about, right? The civilized human, the biological animal that we really are, and the war between the two, the struggle between the two, this desire 
to be an animal, to give in to what we really are, realizing, though, that there would be great consequences in our human world if we did. And so the werewolf is the outcast. The werewolf is the villager who no one really knows a lot about, no one really likes. Maybe there's something strange about them. And at night, they come out, they turn into this wolf, this lupine form with fur and fangs and claws, and they run, and they run through the forest, and they eat animals alive. <laughs> and they come in contact with other werewolves and mate freely, orgiastically. And then the next day, they're human again, and they come back into the village and pretend. Aren't we all, in a sense, pretending? Don't we all wear masks in one way or another in our lives? Do other people really and truly know who we, who we honestly are inside? I'm not so sure of that. <laughs> what are some other parts of the werewolf mythos, the werewolf legend, that are uh, well known? What about the full moon? Now, the idea that people change to wolves or to werewolves only on the full moon this concept is uh, definitely found in a lot of werewolf lore, not all of it. If you remember from last time, some of the uh, werewolves from other parts of the world don't all have this full moon element to them, but a lot do. What is it about the moon? Well, in the basic sense, the moon comes out at night, right? So the moon has long been seen as a symbol of night, of darkness. And in that darkness, in that night, freedom from restraint freedom from sanity. In fact, the word lunacy or lunatic comes from the Latin word luna, which is the moon. So it's a, a state of being under the control of the moon and sanity. And so the full moon is, in a sense, this great symbol of freedom from the restraints of the day, of the sun, of society, of civilization. It brings out that other part of humanity, the moon side, the dark side. Remember that most of these werewolf legends came to be in a time way before electricity existed. Think of how that would have been, right? The only light people had at night was a little, you know, maybe oil lamp or a fire, but that doesn't go very far, and then the moon. And so at night, things are hidden. Your deeds are unseen. What you do is covered in darkness. Other people can't see what you do. Why do you think a lot of crime happens at night for that very reason, even today? You can let loose, in a sense, at night in a way that you just can't during the day. You know, uh, why do you think bars and nightclubs are dark inside? Why, aren't, why don't they have bright lights? Well, it's because people like to drink and maybe flirt and maybe be someone else, someone other than who they are in the office during the day. And so the nightclubs are dark to hide our deeds. Hmm. So the moon is that symbol of freedom and of the opposite of society and civilization, of the beast within. You know, in some werewolf stories, the person wakes up the next day naked, kind of disoriented. Uh, the obvious reason is that the werewolf, you know, the body is larger than the human form, so the clothes rip off. But maybe there's something else. You know, wearing clothes, think about clothing. We're the only animal that truly wears clothes, right? We cover ourselves. We cover our nakedness. No other animal cares about it. A wolf, a dog, a bear, they don't care if other bears or wolves or dogs see them naked. They're not ashamed of it. But we're ashamed. There's something about it, right? Even the most traditional societies have some form of covering, almost always. Wearing clothes is a symbol of our civilized nature, isn't it? Right? It's a way of hiding, I suppose, what we really are inside from the world 
showing something else. It's like a mask, like a mask. By shedding these clothes, which are a symbol of our humanity, what do we reveal? We reveal our naked self, right? The beast within. We reveal the true nakedness of what we really are. And again, that's animals. In some werewolf lore, if you wound the werewolf in its wolf form, let's say you uh, cut its paw off, then the next day, the human who actually is the werewolf will be missing a hand, right? It'll have the same wound in its human form. This is interesting to me because it doesn't have to be this way. As long as we're dealing with supernatural legends, it could just as easily be that, no, the, the hand grows back, right? It could just be a, a trivial thing, but to me, I kind of see that it maybe shows the connection between our humanity and animal natures, right? What you do to one, you do to the other. They're really the same person, aren't they? The animal within, the civilized human without, still the same person. So what you do to one, what you wound in one, you wound in the other. Hmm. Maybe. What do you think? The werewolf story is definitely persistent throughout human history, most of the world. Inside all of us is a beast, the beast within, the animal within. And so we have to choose how to deal with that. What do we do? Do we push it down? Do we quell it completely, allowing it to hide, but maybe to fester, to rage, and perhaps one day to surface in the wrong way? Or do we fully embrace the story of the werewolf, the lore of the werewolf? Do we admit that maybe, yes, we're humans and we're different from the other animals in some ways, but we're also still animals? And this, this kind of uh, uh, thin like veneer right, of civilization, it's just like a temporary line between the two. Think of how easy it is for things to break down in society, for, for, you know, uh, for us humans to turn into maniacs. War and famine and, and uh, you know, all these things break down so quickly and so easily. That 1977 New York City blackout is just one little example of that. With the lights out, right, there's the darkness, the wild side. People are frustrated with the, the city, with their government, with the times. And they just go crazy. They turn into the animal. They turn into people they would not have been otherwise during the day at the office. What do you think? Do you think we're animals inside? Do you choose to push down and ignore that animal nature? Or do you deal with it and embrace it? And in doing so, somehow accept it and learn to control it. Hmm. Thanks for listening again to 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore. Sleep well if you can. <laughs>